Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson shares with us that God is able to do incredible things in us, for us, with us, and through us as we stand persuaded on His power and promise. This sermon examines how God is able to rescue us and restore us. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. Last week, we started a series, a little mini-series, entitled God is Able. And the desire is that whatever you face, whatever you're going through, whatever you come up against, however great the odds against you seem, whatever you need God to do for you, whatever you need God to do in you, whatever you need God to do through you, that you would know and that you could confess with confidence that God is able. Now, last week, we started the series laying the foundation from Romans chapter four, saying that the the principle of God is able rests like a tripod. It rests on three legs, and the legs are God's power, God's promise, and us being fully persuaded that he is able. This morning and for the next couple of weeks, we wanna get very specific now. What are some specific things that God is able to do in our life? We'll look at a variety of passages, a variety of applications. This morning, I wanna look at two specifically. And here's number one. God is able to rescue you. God is able to rescue you. I think we all enjoy great rescue stories. Uh, How many movies have been made, how many books have been written about that proverbial story of the, the male hero goes and saves the damsel in distress. We all love these great hero stories. You may remember the, the great rescue of those 33, I think, uh, Chilean uh, miners who were trapped in that San Jose mine that collapsed for, I think, 69 days or something like that and were rescued. You may remember in July, uh, the 12 boys under 16, soccer team, their soccer coach, uh, were trapped in that underwater cave for nine days. That rescue was so extensive, it said that a 1,000 people were involved in that rescue. But we love great rescue stories, and in the book of Daniel, we see two really great rescue stories, some great rescue stories that we're both very familiar with. The first one's actually in Daniel chapter three. It's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a story that most of us know very well. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and he erects this 90-foot image of his God there in his kingdom that everyone has to fall down and worship. And if they don't fall down and worship, as you know, then they're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace where there are three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we know are not going to bow, and the, the people in the kingdom know they're not going to bow, and this is where we pick up the story. In Daniel chapter 3, in verse 12, says, but there are some Jews, and these are the leadership talking to Nebuchadnezzar. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, wouldn't that be a cool band? 
Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe Tyler, one of these days, we could have a worship band with zithers and lyres and harps. Be kind of a weird sound. Who knows? Anyway, sorry. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. In verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar asked an interesting question. What God will be able to save you from my hand? Now, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was God. He thought he was a God. He wanted to be worshiped. He's the ruler of Babylon. He's the ruler of this great kingdom. So he thinks there's no one greater than him, no one more powerful than him. No one can come up against him. So really what he's saying is, who do you know that's bigger than me, stronger than me, more powerful than me? Who are you serving that's gonna save you from my hand if I make this call? Well, without flinching, without wavering, these three guys say, the God we serve is able to, and he can do it. In verse 26, we see that played out. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. End of verse 27, said they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of smoke or fire on them. Being in this blazing furnace, they didn't even come out with any hint of smoke, any smell whatsoever. In other words, there was seemingly no effect on them at all. God proves his ability to rescue. Now with that thought, jump over to Daniel chapter six. We see another great rescue story. This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den, another story we know very well. Here, Darius is now the king, and he's put three men in charge of the kingdom uh, to oversee all his other leadership team, if you will. Well, then he decides that he's gonna put Daniel over his entire kingdom. Well, that angers these other leaders that want rule in the kingdom, so they try to devise a plan to get Daniel in trouble. They come against him, they try to discredit him, but they can find no fault. In fact, scripture says that he was so trustworthy, he was neither corrupt nor negligent. So since they couldn't find any fault with him, they decided to attack his faith. They knew he worshiped God. They knew he prayed God very publicly. And so they want to attack his faith. So they go to Darius and they say, hey, we want you to make this new decree that for the next 30 days, when the music starts, everyone has to bow down and pray to you. And if anyone does not pray to you, they end up in the lion's den. Well, this is where we pick it up now in verse 16 of chapter six because Daniel would not stop praying to his God. So verse 16, the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Ever felt like you've been in a situation that you feel like just can't be changed? 
Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. May God, my God, send his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me. He says, basically, yes. It's interesting here in the passage that verse 16 Darius is almost praying a prayer. Darius loved Daniel. He did not want to throw Daniel in the lion's den, but he had to honor his decree. So he almost prays a prayer. And he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That word continually is interesting because it it just means all the time. And what we see in this situation, that Daniel worshiped God even when he was told not to. He worshiped God even when he knew there were going to be severe consequences for doing it. He served God even when nobody else did. Evidently, everyone else prayed to Darius or at least didn't pray to God in in public. But then in verse 20, Darius is now switching and now he's hoping and he's asking the question, the very same question, Daniel, has your God that you've been serving been able to rescue you? And Daniel says, yes. He has rescued me from the lion's den. Now, one thing I always want to continue to remind us is this is a real event. This isn't just an analogy. This isn't just a story to help us have a spiritual truth. This is a real event. Daniel's really in a real lion's den, and there's real danger involved. You may have heard the story this week of the the lady Leanne, who was at the Arizona Zoo, and she wanted a selfie with the jaguar. And so by her story, she leaned over the railing, but by others' accounts, she jumped over the railing, got real close to this cage with this jaguar, was gonna take a selfie. While she's taking a selfie, the jaguar reaches out with his paw and grabs this lady and knocks her down on the ground and holds her and pins her on with her her arm. It took her mom and some other guy that was there to kind of distract the jaguar and finally get the jaguar off of her. The interesting thing for me, though, is that this jaguar the, the paw, the jaguar is so strong that he was able to pin this lady down and keep her from moving just with his paw from inside the cage. Now imagine lions that are loose and the damage that they would cause somebody. It helps us understand this story. It helps take this story out of the Bible and into real understanding what Daniel is facing in the midst of these lions. But in the midst of that, Daniel says, God shut the mouths of the lions. God was able to rescue me. Here's my question. Do you feel like you're in the proverbial fiery furnace today? Do you feel like you're in a lion's den? Do you feel like you are up against some impossible odds? Do you feel like you're in a situation that just cannot be changed? If you do, I want you to remember and know and be able to confess with confidence this morning that God is able. God is able to rescue you from the hand of the enemy. He's able to rescue you from that impossible situation. And he's even able to rescue you from the consequences of your faithfulness. Because here's something interesting with these two stories. These guys are not encountering consequences and danger because of their sin or because of their rebellion, because of their unfaithfulness. It's just the opposite. They are encountering the consequences and danger 
of their faithfulness. As they faithfully serve God and follow God and worship God, they're thrown in the midst of danger. Sometimes we think that if I've lived for Christ and I'm faithful to Christ, that's gonna keep me away from problems and consequences and issues. But the reality is really different. It doesn't keep us immune from the enemy's attack. It actually puts a target on our back. <laughs> and we may actually encounter more attacks from the enemy because of our faithfulness. But what we're seeing here is God's faithful even in the midst of our faithfulness. May we never be afraid to stand up for Christ, to speak up for Christ, to live for Christ simply because we're afraid of the consequences of that. Now, in our country, unfortunately, it's becoming harder and harder to live for Christ. There are more consequences that are developing for those of us who want to speak out for Christ and stand up for Christ. There's more criticism. There's more ridicule. There's more persecution. Now, we're not facing the kind of persecution a lot of these other countries are facing that are being imprisoned and tortured and, and killed for their faith. We are not there yet, but we are going that direction. But it's getting harder for us to feel like we can freely speak out. And because of that, many people are becoming timid. And they're saying, okay, if you tell me not to pray in public like Darius, okay, I'll, I'll quit praying in public. If you tell me to quit speaking the, the truth out in the marketplace like they did the disciples, okay, I'll quit speaking because we are afraid of the consequences. In fact, on most of the surveys I, I see when they talk about why people don't share Christ or live for Christ, stand up for Christ, whatever the term is, the number one reason is fear. A variety of different kinds of fear, but the, the essence is the fear of the consequences. Because of the fear of the consequences, we begin to, to shrink in. The story here and the real point that I'm trying to make with this story is that God is able to rescue you even from the consequences of your faithfulness. Don't let the consequences, don't let the ridicule, don't let the criticism keep you from standing up for Christ. God's called us to speak out in his behalf He's called us to be salt and light. He's called us to be reconcilers. He's called us to be ambassadors. He's told us to go and love those who are unlovable. He's told us to go pray for those who are persecuting us. He told us to turn the other cheek and to love those who don't love us back. And what this story reminds us of is that even though there may be consequences for our faith, God is able to rescue us in the midst of it. So may we continue to speak boldly and live boldly and serve boldly. So that's the first specific thing God is able to do. He's able to restore us. Here's the second one. I mean, he's able to rescue us. Here's the second one. God is able to restore us. God is able to restore us. For this, we're gonna look at Romans chapter 11. And in this chapter, it's dealing with the remnant of Israel. Also, the fact that all of Israel will have the opportunity to be saved again. It uses this uh, imagery of ingrafted branches. And it's really talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, the difference with the Jews and the Gentiles, how God was dealing with the Jews, and how the Gentiles were able to come into the gospel. This is kind of the context of the chapter so let's pick it up in Romans 11, verse 17. 
says that some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were cut, were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? He's using this analogy of the tree and being grafted in. So let me illustrate it for you a little bit, see if we can make some clear sense in it. I don't know much about grafting trees, just say that up front. What I've kind of learned in preparation, uh, there are some insightful things that I've learned that we can apply in a moment. Some of you may have great expertise in this. Also, this is just an example. Uh, to do it well, I really need a really big tree, but it was pretty hard for me to pull up a big tree and bring it in here, so we're just gonna have to do this little one. So you're gonna have to use your imagination a little bit here with me. But grafting basically is joining two plants together to grow as one. It's most often done on fruit trees. And in fact, you can graft multiple fruit trees at, at one time. But in the grafting process, you, you have one element, which is the stock. And the stock is what provides the root system and all the nutrients. And then you have the scion, which is basically that twig or branch that you're gonna graft in. There are several methods uh, of grafting, but in essence, basically, what you'll do, and I won't do it here this morning, but basically, you cut a notch or a groove in the stock, and then you take the scion and you taper it down so it will fit into what you've cut in the stock, and then you place that into the stock, and then you tape it so it stays securely in place, and then you have some little material that you can protect it and cover up all the exposed pieces. And so you now have grafted that into the new tree. Now in chapter 11, what this is actually talking about is the Jews and the Gentiles. And so in this analogy, what he says is the Jews are the natural branches. The Gentiles are these wild olive shoots out here, okay? But because of unbelief, it says that the Jews were cut off. So the Jews become cut off from the natural branch, from the stock. But as a result, what that enabled was the Gentiles then to come be grafted in to Christ. But he goes on to say, but if the Jews will, will believe that Jesus Christ 
is the son of God, that he is the one that came to save mankind, that he is the one that we've been waiting for. What God can do is he can regraft all of these original natural branches back into himself. And so now you've got Jews and Gentiles, multi-fruited olive tree, all grafted in together. Okay, so that's the word picture that he's trying to give us here in this passage. But all this pulls into verse 23, the point that we're gonna make out of it is they will be grafted in, and here's the point, for God is able to graft them in again. We're gonna move to the point that God is able to restore us. Now, Jesus takes this analogy of a tree or a branch and kind of plays with it in John 15 when he calls himself the vine and calls us the branches. Now, he deals a little bit more with pruning rather than grafting, but he says something in verse five of John 15 that says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't walk and talk and speak. It means spiritually, there's nothing that you can do to give yourself spiritual life because you can't produce anything. But God is able to graft us in again. Now, right now, I'm not talking about salvation. I want to be really clear before we move forward. I'm not talking about salvation right now because once you give your life to Christ, that relationship is secure. We'll actually talk about that more next week. Now, what I'm talking about is spirit life. The ability for us to experience the abundant life and the kind of life that God has promised to give us. He's able to restore us because the unfortunate reality is that often, for most of us, for some reason at some times in our life, we degraft ourselves. <laughs> we ungraft ourselves. We detach ourselves from that life giving source and we lose this full intimacy and fellowship with the Father. But what he's telling us in analogy is that he's able to restore us. So when we find ourselves unattached, when we find ourselves no longer experiencing the life and the abundance and the fellowship that he's offered, we don't have to stay in that situation. He can regraft us into himself. Now with the grafting illustration, there were a variety of of kind of insights that I thought were interesting to apply. I'm just gonna touch on them, but they may speak to, one of these may speak to you uh, this morning. But in the grafting process, what I said earlier is, is two things have to be cut. The stalk has to be cut and the scion has to be cut in order for successful grafting to take place. The same is true spiritually speaking. And now I am talking about salvation. Because for a person to experience life in Christ, two things had to happen. Two people, if you will, had to be cut. Jesus Christ had to be cut. Jesus Christ was impacted as the stalk. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. So he was impacted and he was cut and he was wounded so that grafting and relationship could take place. But we also, from our standpoint, are as well. We are cut to the quick by conviction. 
Scripture says that the word of God is like a double-edged sword. In fact, it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it penetrates even to the bone marrow. And so that conviction cuts into us. And so there has to be this point where I allow the spirit of God to come into me and cut me and wound me and tell me that you need life, you need Christ, you're missing out. And the same was happening with Christ when he gives his life. And so it's the two of those coming together that make it possible for us to experience life in Christ. Now, why is that important? Well, there's a second thing about grafting that's important, and that is that it's the stock that provides the nutrients and the roots and the life source. The wild olive shoot can't produce anything. So we have to be connected to the source if we're gonna have life. That's when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do physical things, but we cannot experience life. We cannot produce life. We cannot produce anything of spiritual context. We can only bear what he produces. Well, third interesting element is one of the reasons that they graft a branch in is because the original tree or stock that it was connected to is dying or diseased. In other words, it's over here in its own tree, all right? But that tree, the root system is dying. It's diseased and it's gonna die. And if the twig stays in that tree, on that stock, it's gonna die. So they sever it from here. They're able to bring it and graft it into a tree that has life. That's the way it is with us. Because see, in our natural state, we are connected to a, a, a flesh. We are connected to a sinful nature that is dying and that is diseased. And if we stay connected only to that nature, the result is death. So we have to sever ourselves from that sinful nature and graft ourselves into the nature of Christ. Which leads to the fourth application. They say that once you graft that wild shoot into the, the stock, that the scion will begin to develop the characteristics of the stock. It'll bear the characteristics of the stock. That's the way it ought to be with us in Christ. That once we connect ourselves to Christ, we begin to bear the image of Christ. We begin to have this Christ likeness. And this is all the illustration of the grafting. But all of this is, for me, kind of secondary. Here's the point. Here's the main point I want you to get here. God is able to restore us. Just like the Jews, he is able to graft us again. Because here's the reality, and maybe this is you today, I don't know. You have found yourself unattached, detached, not lost, okay? You haven't disconnected from relationship with God, but the intimacy has become disconnected. Scripture defines that as quenching the spirit or grieving the spirit or walking in the flesh, whatever has happened, whether it's rebellion, whether it's sin, whether it's apathy, whether it's laziness, whatever it is, but something has caused me to lose that intimacy and that fellowship and that connection with the Father, experiencing the life that he promises. The reality and the truth is God is able to regraft you and to restore you. God is able to restore your relationship with him. God is able to restore 
your intimacy with him. God is able to restore your peace and your joy and your power and your hope. God is able to restore your brokenness and make you whole. God is able to restore your emptiness and make you full. God is able to restore your fruitlessness and make you fruitful once again. God is able to restore you into Christ-likeness. God is able. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel unattached. You feel like this wild shoot over here. God is saying to you, if you'll come back, he'll regraft you into that life. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel fully grafted. You don't need to be restored. You truly feel fully grafted. Praise the Lord. What I would suggest is think about those that you know that aren't. One of our desires and goals with River Fellowship is to reach the unengaged and the disengaged. And there are many out there who are unengaged with Christ. They're unengaged with the church or they become disengaged for whatever reason with Christ and the church. But the principle here is that God is able to restore them. God is able to graft them in again. So this may not be an issue for you this morning, but you may work with people, you may know people, you may live close to people, you may come in contact with people who are the wild olive shoot here. For some reason, they've, they've detached themselves and they're not experiencing the life that Christ has to offer. Maybe God wants to use you, a fully grafted follower of Christ, a fully engaged follower of Christ, to bring them back into the fold. God is able to take the unengaged and the disengaged and make them fully engaged followers of Christ. So here's what I want you to meditate and think through this morning. God is able to rescue you even when your faithfulness causes issues. And God is able to restore you. Whatever life you're missing in him, he can restore it. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.